Thank you so much for that wonderful time of praise and worship. I had to give the string instruments a high five. I mean, they just did amazing. Didn't they sound great? I don't know if y'all could hear them. Man, it was superb. Thank you, Brother Jerry. Thank you, uh, uh, orchestra. And thank you, Corey, for leading us in some songs, uh, young and old. It was wonderful. Thank you so very much. Our text today is Revelation chapter 11, and I'll be reading verses 15 through 19. Do you realize that on January the 19th, 2014, we started studying the book of Revelation. Now, that's just a little over a year ago, and after today, after today's message, we will legitimately be through one half of the apocalypse. And so, it has taken us a year, and we probably have another year, as we have gone through every single word. We've read all the text, and we've tried to give explanation and encouragement and warning as the text dictate, and so today we are going to reach a milestone, the one, the one half uh, mark of Revelation. There are 22 chapters, and we're going to finish chapter 11 uh, today. If you are a follower of Christ and you love the Lord, you are going to be incredibly blessed and encouraged by what you read today. The title of our message is Hallelujah, He Reigns. Hallelujah. He reigns. And today, we're, there are going to be a lot of sensations in this text. We're going to hear a lot of things. We're going to see a lot of things. We're going to experience a lot of things. And so, I love this text. It's right before the seventh trumpet sounds. And as the seventh trumpet, as it sounds, this angel, it's just like all of heaven breaks loose in applause and exuberance and great joy as the kingdoms of this world have now become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ. As Handel's Messiah uh, so beautifully expresses it with a thunderous crescendo, that's precisely uh, what our text says today. And so today, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Christ, you're going to be so incredibly blessed and encouraged by what you read. Remember, this is a time of great tribulation, seven years of really of God's wrath being poured out on planet earth. And there are seven, what they call the sealed judgments and the seven trumpet judgments and eventually the seven bowl judgments that we're about to look at. Each one of these is, if you can think about it like this, like a telescope with these concentric circles compacted within one another. And as we continue through Revelation, as we go through the trumpets and now eventually the bowls, you'll notice that they will increase in their severity. They will increase in their, in their power and in their judgment as God takes away the little g, the God, the ruler of this age. The Bible describes Him as the powerful one of this age. Even Jesus, three times in the Gospel of John, refers to the devil as the ruler of this world. Did you know that? He is the ruler of this world from the lips of Jesus Himself. Now, I'm with you, I firmly believe that He only rules as God providentially and sovereignly allows Him to rule. God is the, He is the heavenly despot. He is the reigning monarch. He is, as this text says today, He is the pantocrator. Love that word. And so, God in His sovereignty, in His omnipotence, and in His providence, He has allowed the evil one to reign for such a time. But there's coming a time where God takes what is rightfully His. Remember what Jesus prayed, Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done, help me, on earth as it is in heaven, which means His will is not being completely done on earth, 
but one day, glory to God, it will. And we're about to see this transference of power. We're about to see where Almighty God, He just comes and He reigns, and we're building up to this crescendo moment of His 1,000-year millennial reign here on earth. So let me read it to you. It says, the seventh angel, He sounded, and there were loud voices uh, in the heavens, and they said, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who sat before God on their thrones, they fell on their faces. Now mark that. We're going to come back to this in a moment, but I want you to notice that one of the most conspicuous and powerful means of worship, and I get the raising of the hands, and I get the lifting of the voices, and I get the clapping of the hands, but the preeminent, predominant posture of worship in the Bible is when people fall on their faces. When's the last time we were worshiping God, you just fell on your face? I almost did it this morning, but I was a little inhibited because I was afraid what somebody might think about me. You said, well, you shouldn't be that way, Brother Danny. You're the pastor. Just go prostrate yourself before the Lord. But I thought, you know, it's, it's very different for us. Well, a lot of times we just, don't, we just don't worship God with full abandon. We just don't bow down on our faces. And I believe that that is the greatest most demonstrative form of worship is when we literally bow down uh, before a holy God. I tell you what, I didn't plan on doing this. Why don't we just do that? If you're able physically, would you stand for just a moment and get a place? And let's just bow before the king for a moment. Can we do that? This is very, very biblical what we're about to do. There's not going to be any music played. We're just going to take a moment and we're just going to bow before the king. And I tell you what, you bow and I'm going to I'm just going to maybe just say a prayer for us, all right? We'll just, in just a moment, I just got to do this. Would you join me? Just as many of you as you can, you want to, just bow before the Lord. The greatness of our God I spend my life to know You are God, you are awesome, and we just worship you today, full abandonment, hearts and heads and hands, volitions, our minds, our consciences, our wills, everything within us, God. We bow before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Hallelujah. You reign. God, the devil, he is strong and he is powerful, and he is, he's hurting many people, Lord, and he has many people captive, but we rejoice today The greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. And Jesus Christ, we just want you to know we love you. In this world of chaos, in this crazy world in which we live, we here at 10,500 Jollyville on our faces, on our knees, we acknowledge you, Lord, and we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise the Lord. Y'all were so biblical at that moment, so absolutely biblical. On your face before the Lord, worshiping him. Greatness of our God. Okay, we got to get back to the text. And the 24 elders who sat before God, they, on their thrones, they fell on their faces and they worshiped God and they said, we give you thanks. Isn't that interesting? The first words out of the 24 elders, not asking God for anything, not demanding from God anything, but properly worshiping God, they just give Him Eucharisteo, they, they thank Him, they just praise Him in His presence. Thank you, O Lord God Almighty. Now notice the way He's described, the one who is, who was, who is to come. 
That, by the way, is a great definition of the old Hebrew word Yahweh. When you talk about Yahweh, that is the Old Testament uh, name for God, the covenant-keeping God of Israel, the eternal, self-existent God who was, who is, and who is forevermore. And these elders, they are falling on their faces. I mean, the trumpet is sounding. The end of the world as we know it, it is culminating, it is climaxing, and, and God is taking over planet Earth, and the angels and the redeemed humanity, they worship and they sing praise to God. Because you have taken your great power and you have reigned. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come and the time of the dead that they should be judged, and that you should reward your prophets, your servants, the prophets, and the saints, all of those who fear your name. Watch this. From the small to the great, and they should destroy those who destroy the earth. Then the temple of God was opened in heaven, and the ark of the covenant come now. You say, well, I thought this was… I thought this was in the past. I thought Israel had their day. I, what is this ark of the covenant in this apocalyptic vision of heaven and the future? And there is this prominent, conspicuous place. The ark of the covenant in the temple of God was opened and it was seen in his temple. And there were lightnings and noises and thunderings and even an earthquake and great hell as it plummets and falls to planet earth. What, what an amazing passage of Scripture. As I mentioned to you a moment ago, with the context going on, there's this divine pause, there's this interlude between all of these judgments. And now when this seventh angel trumpet sounds, everything begins to culminate. In Revelation 10, 7, we were warned, we were told, but in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, and that's what we just read, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished as he declared to his servants the prophets. In other words, this is the beginning of the end. You know, there's, there's something within us that really longs for this day. I don't know about you, when I, when I watch television or as I listen to the reports of what is going on, not only in America, for heaven's sake, a 19-year-old boy, I mean, he gets mad because a lady and he have a little run-in on the highway, and he's so angry, he goes to her home and just blows her brains out in an, in an act of road rage. And I read that, and I'm like, God, what in the world is going on? And then I see these 21 Coptic Egyptian Christians on their knees before these demons, these demons called Isis, and they decapitate them. They, they remove their heads, and I'm thinking, oh, God, this world is messed up. This world, God, is on its way to hell. I was listening to a, uh, to a senator from Ohio this morning on the news, and he says, our world is in great trouble. Our world is absolutely broken. And, and I was like, man, you, you're not kidding. And it doesn't take a whole lot of imagination. It doesn't take a whole lot of brilliance to realize that this world is broken. The God of this age, he does rule. And when he rules, he always rules with murderous intentions. And that's why we have so much calamity, and that's why we have so much breakdown of, of whatever is good and just, because there is a cosmic battle between good and evil. And so something within me just cries out, oh God, come and save the day. And guess what? He does. He's about to come 
And he's about to bring vengeance and judgment. And those that do not know him, those that despise him, they will be judged and consigned to hell. And those who love God and serve God and worship him, they will reign with him. So let let me go through this text with you. There are three things I want you to notice with me. I don't want you to miss these. There is a sound, a very powerful sound. And then there is a song that is sung. And then John closes out this pericope, this narrative. Uh, This paragraph of thought, this unit of thought, he closes it out with what he sees in the heavenlies, this Ark of the Covenant. First of all, the sound. Verse 15 says, the seventh trumpet angel sounds. And then there are loud voices in heaven. The Greek text reads, phoni megali, phoni, sound, this this breaking forth, this melodious music, if you will, this phonograph, this phonos, this mega loud noises are reverberating in the heavens. And the heavenly host, the angelic host, and the redeemed humanity, they join this awesome choir and they begin to praise the Lord in verse 15. A loud voice in heaven, and they said, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. That's why I've titled the message, Hallelujah, uh, He Reigns. And I love the way Handel and his Messiah, and the way he captures this. And, and many of you have sung Handel's Messiah, as I have many, many times. I used to sing it every year when I was a student in college. Every, every year we would get together in our choral groups, and we would, we would sing. And, and this is one of my favorite, favorite parts. The kingdoms of this world are now the kingdom and of his Christ. I mean, yeah, I, can just, I can just see it. And Handel has this, he captures it in a beautiful way, and it ends with a thunderous applause, with, with this crescendo, with not this anticlimax, but with this thundering applause. You can just see it. And the kingdoms of this world are subjugated to the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. Wow, hallelujah. What a thought. It's very obvious who this is. The kingdom of our Lord, of God the Father, and of His Christ, of the Lord Jesus Christ. As I said earlier, this day has not come. We are waiting on this day. Uh, Let me read this to you. In John chapter 14, verse 30, there are three times in John's gospel he refers to the enemy this way. He says, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. Do you all see this? This explains a lot. You know, people say, well, I have a hard time with God and evil. Why theodicy? Why does a good, just, loving God allow so many horrible things to happen? Here's why. Because there is an enemy. And what we attribute sometimes to God, it's not God at all. There is an enemy. And Jesus calls him the ruler of this world. He's coming. And boy, he has come. And Jesus said, he has nothing in me. And by the way, when you see somebody murdering somebody else, Even though they claim to be doing this in the name of their God, they have nothing to do with Jesus. You'll never read anything in the Word of God. The only thing you read about Jesus is, man, He's on His knees, and He's washing people's feet. He's reaching over to lepers, and He's healing them. He's leaning over to Lazarus. He's rising, raising Him from the dead. And the only time you see Christ, when you see Him in His glory, is when His hands are stretched out on the cross, and He dies. That's my King. That's my God. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. Woo! Hallelujah! What a Savior! All this 
Jesus said, yes, your kingdom come, your will, it's going to be done. Glory to God on earth as it is in heaven. You heard this aphorism? You ever heard this old adage, all good things must what? Come to an end. You know, that's true in every situation except this one. (laughs) His kingdom has no end. He will reign and reign and reign for perpetuity, for eternity. When I was writing the sermon, I I thought about a song, and I I didn't realize that Newsboys was going to sing it, and they did. They sang it uh, Thursday night. Anybody remember this song? Yes. Sorry, I've been neglecting y'all. There are people over here. I didn't… For a lot of times, we don't have people seated over here. How are y'all doing? I bless y'all. Good to see you. So what song was it? Yes, hallelujah. He reigns. Listen to these words. What powerful words. It's the song of the redeemed rising from the African plain. It's the song of the forgiven drowning out the Amazon rain, the song of Asian believers filled with God's holy fire. It's every tribe, every tongue, every nation, a love song born of a grateful choir. Hallelujah. It says it's all God's children singing. Glory, glory, hallelujah, he reigns. It's all God's children singing, glory, glory, hallelujah, he reigns, he reigns. And this song, these words are talking about how God in his power, he's still moving, he's still reigning, he's still changing people's lives here on planet earth, and yet there's coming a day, I mean an awesome day, when he, when he just reigns supremely on earth as he does in heaven. Let it rise above the four winds caught up in the heavenly sound. Listen to this thought. Let the praises echo from the towers of cathedrals to the faithful gathered underground. Mm. Of all the songs sung from the dawn of creation, some were meant to persist. Of all the bells rung from a thousand steeples, none none rings truer than this. It's all God's children singing, hallelujah, He reigns. So that is the that is the sound that we hear from the second or the seventh angel. As he begins to blow that trumpet, it is the beginning of the end of life on earth as we know it. Speaking of songs or anthems, let's go to the second point in verses 16 through 18. Let's, let's actually analyze the song of the redeemed in verses 16 through 18. Did you see it there? The 24 elders, you say, remind me again who those guys are. The 24 elders, I believe it represents all of redeemed humanity, from the 12 tribes of Israel and the old dispensation to the 12 apostles of Christ and the new dispensation. So you've got this 24, this combined number, and I believe they literally have their 24 thrones. There are people on those thrones representing the redeemed from all humanity. But they are there with their thrones of regality and, and, and royal and, and, and in this conspicuous moment. But in a moment, you're going to see what they, what they love to do is they love to abandon those thrones and lie prostrate on their faces before God and worship. In fact, that's what they do. They get on their face and they worship God. Do you see this? They fall. On, they get off of their thrones. They fall on their faces and they worship and they sing this anthem, this song of praise to God. I like the way one writer puts this. and he find, it, it, it's, an, it's wonderful when he says, while there is no doubt that such actions as standing, look at me for a moment, lifting holy hands to heaven, singing and praying, they all have a place in Christian worship, and the contemporary scene 
seems to be largely unaware, however, of the most consistent response to a worshiper's discovery in the presence of God, and that would be what we did a moment ago. Wouldn't it be awesome next week, Daniel, when y'all are having your, your worship service, and Shane Pruitt's up here preaching, and J.J. Weeks' band, and wouldn't it be awesome some of you teenagers just said, well, Brother Danny said we could do this. It was biblical. We just get on our faces before God and just, and just worshiped Him. He said, oh, Brother Danny, that, that scares me. That sounds uh, like you're becoming a little Bapticostal. Well, amen. That's who I am. I, that's who I am at heart. Is a... So I'll be in India. I'll miss it, but um, I'd, love to, I'd love to hear about it. But man, y'all just had, I would just, I would just love it. Revival broke out and I wasn't even here. And when I come back off my trip, then I, I just get swept up in this mighty movement of God that He began with our students, and that just like a rippling effect runs throughout our congregation, and there's just a sense of joy and exuberance and worship, and many people give their lives to Christ. Oh, it's going to, I believe it. I'm believing God for it. I believe it's going to be a great weekend for y'all. Okay, so some of the theological content of the song. It says, we give you thanks. Oh, look at this. I tell you, I could not wait to show, share, show you this and share this with you. It says, Oh Lord God Almighty. One, two, three, four words to describe one Greek word, and it's the Greek word pantocrator. Pantocrator. It means the Almighty God, the all sufficient, all powerful. Listen to this. When the Greeks translated the Hebrew into the Greek language, that's called the Septuagint. And when they came to the name Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord, the God of the armies of heaven, they used this word. They used the word panto crater. The, the root word kratos means strength and, and power. And, and I like the way one, one writer puts it. He says, none can resist this power. This is God's all-encompassing, all-embracing sovereignty, and nobody can withstand it. And, and these saints of old and, and, and new and these angels, they sing, and we give you praise, Pentocrator, Lord God Almighty. Listen, when y'all get to heaven, y'all gonna say, Brother Danny taught us that word. Woo! Y'all gonna know Greek and you're gonna hear them and you're gonna be able to say, Pentocrator, and I know what that means. That means, God, there's none like you. Holy, awesome, sovereign ruler. Mm, the sweet, benevolent dictator, the despot, the monarch, the awesome one, the omnipotent one, the ruler of all the ages. There he is. Woo, man. And we'll be worshiping him and praising the Lord Jesus Christ. Man, what a time. And I don't know about y'all, but I'm going to do just like those 24. I'm going to get on my face before God, and I'm just going to worship him and say, God, thank you. You came, you reigned, you reign. It was worth it. It was worth it all. The Bible says, you have taken your great power. It's a perfect tense verb. It means something that he has, and he ain't letting go of it, okay? As one writer puts it, he says, the impact of this perfect tense is his power will remain interminably into the future. That's a big word meaning he never lets go. He, He's taken his great power and he reigned. It's a proleptic aorist tense. You say, what does that mean? Well, he speaks with a past tense aorist verb of an event that has not happened yet, but he's so certain, watch this, he's so certain that it's going to happen that John can say it as if it's already happened. 
You have taken your power and you reigned and you have reigned. Verse 18, the song of the heavenly host continues as it says, and the nations, they're angry. You say, what in the world? How could anybody be angry when the God of heaven and earth, when the Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, three in one, one in three, when they reign, why would anybody be angry? How could anybody get upset with that? Hello? There's a lot of people upset with that. There's a lot of people worshiping false pseudo-gods like Islam and like Buddhism and Confucianism and all the other isms. They, they, they don't worship the one true God, and they know that. And they realize that here, that this God is the preeminent God. He is reigning on their puny gods, and they're angry, and they're mad, but they can't do anything about it because Almighty God is on display. Somebody asked me recently, do you think uh, Islam will take over the world and that will usher in the end times? I do not believe that. In Revelation 17, you need to come that day. We'll, we'll get to that in about three years, Revelation 17. There's going to be this amalgamation. There's going to be this pulling together of all the religions. And that's why I don't see Islam predominating, because the great harlot of Babylon is going to be this apostate religion that's going to bring everybody within unless you're extreme. Unless you really believe in what you believe, then you're, you're going to be taken out. But that's why, I don't see, that's why I don't see this crusade, this holy war coming up again, because I just see it from the eyes of Revelation 17, this apostate religion that's going to be a bringing together of all the religions of the world unless you stand really strong for, for your faith. More about that uh, later. So they're angry. And the time of their judgment, the Bible says, the time of God's wrath has come. The time of the dead that they should be judged. There's coming judgment, the great white throne judgment. There's coming the sheep and the goats judgment. I believe that time's coming. Right when Christ comes and sets up his kingdom here on this earth. Read Matthew chapter 25 and you have the sheep and the goats judgment. Judgment, it's on its precipice. It's on its eve. And it says, and you will reward your servants, the prophets and the saints. Primarily, I believe he's talking about the Old Testament prophets and the saints. He's talking about us. We've come to this place of faith and repentance, and, and God rewards us. And God also, I'm in verse 18 in this anthem, this song of praise. And you reward all of those who fear your name. Listen, guys, to fear God means to reverence God, to worship God, to recognize that He is he is sovereign, and we are not. And I love this little phrase here, both the small and the great. In my notes, I've written it this way, from the believing peasant to the believing prince, all of God's people will be rewarded for their faithful servant, to the small, to the great. And God, you're going to destroy those who have destroyed the earth. Franklin Graham's taken a lot of, a lot of heat, a lot of flack. A lot of people are concerned for his life, literally. There are um, posts on Facebook and other places saying, pray for Franklin Graham, pray that God protects his life. Now, he's becoming a real prophet of God. I mean, he's standing up and speaking out. And this is what he said. He wrote these words years ago, but it's like he just said them today. In his book, The Name, he writes these words. We must realize 
that there is a war underway that is much bigger than a terrorist attack. This is a war that transcends politics and religion. This battle going on today is between good and evil, between Satan and God. In every culture, listen to this, in every nation, in every state, city, community, and home, and ultimately in every heart, a war rages on between good and evil. End of quote. But thanks be to God, one day the war will cease, and those who destroy the earth and those who hate God, they will be destroyed. So you have a sound, you have a song, and now notice this, I want to close with this last point, the sight. The sight is in verse 19 where it says, then the temple of God was opened, okay? So the temple of God, there's a heavenly temple, in, okay, and then, then there's an ark of His covenant, and it is seen, and that's where I get this word sight, and it is seen in His temple. And then on earth, I believe these things happen on earth, there are lightnings and noises and thunderings, earthquake and great hail. Two things I want you to notice with me about this sight. Number one is joy. There's joy in heaven. The Ark of the Covenant, it is synonymous with joy. The Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament, remember the tablets, the two tablets of stone, the great commandments of God, the Ten Commandments, the jar of manna, and Aaron's rod. These, these things in this treasured sacred chest, they symbolize the very presence of God, the joy of God, the awesomeness of God. And, and John in this heavenly vision, and I still think it's something futuristic, future, he looks into the future and he sees in heaven, there's this temple and there is this ark of the covenant. And people are looking for this Ark of the Covenant, and they're not going to find it, all right? Uh, people are like, well, I know where it is. It's, it's over here, and it's over there, and it, they may find it, you know, on earth. But this is, this is it in heaven, and, and we're looking at it, and it tells me a lot. It tells me, as Robert Thomas writes in his great commentary, he says, quote, It is clear that the judgments of God have come, and they relate to the restoration of God's people Israel and the fulfillment of all of His covenant, covenant promises to them." You say, wow, that's important, and, and it is important. And it communicates to us solidly, soundly, that that little piece of strip of land there in the Middle East, Jerusalem, that holy land, is, it's still special, it's still prized, and God still has a plan for them. So you have this joy in heaven, and it's interesting too. For some of my more skeptical friends, let, let, let me show you something. The tabernacle and the temple which housed the Ark of the Covenant, the writer of the book of Hebrews says those were only types or they were only copies of that which is in the heaven. And, and let me read it to you. Therefore, it was necessary that the copies of the things, now in the context, things are tabernacle and temple. Therefore, it was necessary that the copies of the things, now if you study the tabernacle and the temple, you know this, you've gotten this, that it is only a, a symbolic representation of the real thing in heaven. These should be purified, and they were, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. So you've got joy in heaven, and you've got judgment on earth. And the judgment on earth is what I see with the lightnings, the noises, thunderings, earthquakes, and so forth. Think about that. Joy in heaven, judgment on earth. Joy in heaven, judgment 
on earth. You know, all of us are going to experience one of two of these. We are going to experience perpetual, everlasting joy with Jesus in heaven, or we're going to be judged for our sins for eternity in hell. One writer put it this way. He says, for all of those who die and they do not elect to accept the judgment of God against sin on the cross are now to face their final judgment. So our sin is going to be judged. It's going to be judged on the cross by Christ, or it's going to be judged by us for eternity in hell. Listen, guys, you get to decide. You say, would you explain that to me? I just woke up. You lost me on the seventh, whatever you're talking about. But now you're talking about judgment and heaven and hell. I'm, I'm listening. Our sin has to be judged. Now, if we say, God, you judge it on the cross, Jesus, bear my sin so that I don't have to bear it, and I can, I can be cleansed, and I can be forgiven, and I can go to heaven. And God says, I'm glad to do that. And there's this divine exchange. When we repent, we believe God saves us. Or we can be obstinate, and we can be recalcitrant, and we can say, I don't need anybody to do anything for me. I am just fine. After all, I ain't killed anybody. I ain't murdered anybody. I'm not that bad after all. And so I don't need all of this expiation and all this vicarious suffering. I don't need all that. And you're going to go to hell and be judged by God for eternity because of your pride. Your pride will keep you in hell forever because you would not humble yourself and say, God, I've blown it. God, I've messed up. Please have mercy. Please have grace. Forgive me. And God says, I'd gladly do that if you would only ask me. Trust me, this is the truth. Our sin will be judged by Christ on the cross or it will be judged by us in hell for eternity. I'm so glad, so glad God is still... He's still saving people. And I'm so glad that God, until He comes, He's going to be redeeming and transforming people's lives, and people are going to be continually born again. And, 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 and I'm just so encouraged by that, because as bad as things are, as terrible as things are on planet Earth, God is still sovereign, and God is orchestrating everything just precisely according to His plan. I was listening to um, Lee Strobel's testimony this week. I never list, actually listened to it. I'd read it, and he was, of course, a, a Yale graduate. He was a Chicago Tribune legal editor. He's a brilliant guy. And his whole world was messed up one day when his wife came home and said, Honey, I've got bad news for you. I became a Christian today. And he was infuriated. He was so angry. He thought she had lost her ever-loving mind, and he told her about as much. And so he proved, he said, listen, I'm going to demonstrate to you that you're wrong, that you've been ignorant on this, and just give me a little time and I will prove you wrong. Well, he started studying the evidence, and a couple of years into studying it, he said, I have to make a decision. It's now going to take me more faith to maintain my atheism than it is to believe in Jesus. And so he became a Christian, and now he's a wonderful pastor and author. And I read this week of another, another guy, and I'd heard his story before, and I began researching it more this week. And, and I shared the story with you because this guy was a Jew. And listen, just because you're a Jew doesn't mean you're going to heaven. I mean, if you're, if you're a Jew, that's a, that's a good thing. I and mean, God created us uh, male and female, Jew and Gentile, but there's only one way we get to heaven, and that's through Jesus. And I heard this story of Matthew Loon, L-U-H-N, and it just, it just encouraged me. It reminded me that God is still on the throne. Listen, he's, he's even saving people in Los Angeles, California. I mean, 
I mean, they're, they're about to have the big show, you know, the, the big Oscars. And, and Matthew Loon, he'll probably be right there in the heart of it. You may not have heard his name, but you've seen his movies. How about uh, Toy Story? Toy Story 2. How about Monsters, Inc.? How about Ratatouille? Is that how you say it? Ratatatatouille. Whatever it is, that little rat's funny. It's a great show. Up. Y'all remember Up? Up, up. Little grumpy old man. That's, that's one of my favorites. Uh, Monsters University. Has his hand on all of those. He's brilliant. Um, he, when he was 19 years of age, the people that produced The Simpsons, they hired him. He was so good. The Simpsons. Will that ever go off the air? I mean, you know, really, is it, is it just going to be there for eternity? His, his girlfriend, she, she really fell in love with Jesus. And she asked her pastor to go talk to Matthew. This was 20 years ago. And she went to him and talked to him. And uh, he said, well, I'm a Jew. I'm good. He said, no. He said, uh, let, let me show you, in fact, let me show you that the Jewish belief here in the Old Testament for a Messiah, let me show you where he is fulfilled in the New Testament. And it blew his mind. He was like, nobody had ever shown me this before. I never realized how all of these Old Testament prophecies are pointing to one man, one God-man, Jesus Christ. Matthew Loon went out on a hike. And as he was hiking out in California, he said, God brought me to the point, to the valley of decision. And he said these words, and I've actually wrote them down. I want you to hear these words. He said, I have to trust you, and I have to believe in you, Jesus. And he says, that was the turning point of my life. I couldn't be who I was before. I was going to have to learn to pray. And that day, he gave his life to the Lord. That was 20 years ago. And the only thing he had done then was, I think, uh, Simpsons and the first Toy Story. All those other movies, he's the artist behind it. He's the story guy behind it. And God has taken this man with all these gifts, and he's blessing him, and he's using him. And listen to what he says. He says, listen, when people, filmmakers in Hollywood, start overstepping their bounds, especially when they're talking about kids' movies, he said, I speak up, and I let my faith be known. And I love this part. He said, I'm vocal, but I'm friendly. That's a good word, by the way. As Christians, I can't, wouldn't it be awesome if all of us could say that? I'm vocal, but I'm also friendly. I don't want to come across as, please fire me. I love that part. <laughs> please fire me. No, he says, but I, I make my views known, end of quote. And that encouraged me. God has lights all over this world. He is saving people. He's redeeming people. He's changing people's lives, and he's raising people up who will be spokesmen spokeswomen for him so that people will say, there is a God. He is in control. He does save people's lives. Listen, if he can save this dude, he can save you. He can save Lee Strobel. He can save you. Say, well, you don't understand, brother. I'm very sophisticated. I have an MD, PhD, all these. Blah, blah, blah. I'm so in, I'm so in time. Man, God who gave you that brain is the God that can save your soul. I mean, he loves you. He crafted oh, Stephen Hawkins. Bless his soul. I watched that movie the other day, and I was like, Dude, he says, shazam, kaboom, it all appeared out of nothing. And I'm just like, and then he says, well, now I don't, now I don't know if it all appeared out of nothing. I think it's just always existed. And I was like, well, get your story straight. And then at the end, he said, honey, look what we created. Look what we made in these three. What? Look what you created. Look what he created. And there's a moment in that movie where he's looking at his wife going, look at our three children. We created them. And I want to say, oh, friend, there's a wholesome God who created you. And he created you. And he gave you this brain. 
And you're not going to find peace. You're not going to find joy. You're not going to find contentment until you give your life to Christ. Now, when I say that, I hear myself saying it and going, man, that's exclusive. Man, that's limited. Man, that is, um, you're not giving people a choice. You're either saying, it's Jesus or nothing, and that's right. Jesus said, I'm it. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Well, I did this interview the other day and about traditional family, and I don't know if y'all seen the interview on KXAN, but I, and then they wrote an article about it, and I went online, I was reading the article, and I was like, wow. I never realized how, because we believe what we believe, people equate us with ISIS. People say, y'all are just like those ISIS people. Y'all are extreme just like them. And I'm like, well, there, there's a big difference. I'm not cutting anybody's head off. In fact, I, I want to love people. I don't want to hurt people. I don't want to harm people. Listen, guys, juxtapose them. Compare them. There's no comparison. Jesus is awesome. He is love. I wish I could preach another 45 minutes. I really do, but I know you're tired. The seat can only, the mind can only endure what the seat can. I get that. So we're going we're to wrap it up, and then we're going uh, to go to India and preach the gospel. Man, I can't wait. It's going to be so fun. We're going. I want to tell my family, I hope I come back, and I, I plan on coming back. But if I don't come back, guys, I will be in a far better place. And I'm so excited. Wouldn't it be awesome? to step out of this earth, right into the presence of Jesus, preaching the Word of God. What an honor. What an honor it'd be. Lord God, we love you so much. We need you, Lord. We need you this very hour. I pray. I pray for my people here today, oh God. I pray for those that know you and love you, and they're on fire for you. Oh, bless them, Jesus. Stir them, Lord. Fan the flame within them, and may they continue to burn brightly for you. But Lord, I also pray for many, many, Lord, who are stagnant, many that are cold, many whose hearts, Lord, have just been, Lord, whether it's through the circumstances of life or through their own choices, they've been crushed, and I pray for them. I pray, God, that you would show them how much you love them. Show them, God, again. Do a miracle in their life. Bring them back to that point of revival and, jo- and rejoicing so that they could be used powerfully by you. And finally, Lord, I pray for those that don't know you. I pray for those, Lord, that don't have a relationship with you, the God of creation, the God of culmination, the God of redemption, the King, the one true living God. I pray that in this very postmodern, post-Christian, very secular, very amalgamated world in which we live, Lord, to be standing out for Christ, I pray that they'd do it. I pray that I would do it. I pray, Lord, we would not embarrass you. We would not bring shame to your name, but we would preach the gospel, live the gospel until you take us home. Lord, God, please, I know there are many. Lord, there are many in this room, and there are many listening through the internet and television. And God, they need you. I pray that you'd save them. Lord, save them like you did Lee Strobel. Save them like you did Matthew Loon. Save them like you did uh, many in this place today. And I pray that you'd bless our invitation in Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Praise the Lord. Come on, guys, let's stand up. Let's sing a song to the Lord. We're going to have pastors and We'll have um, counselors. We'll have people here at the front that just want to pray with you, want to encourage you. Listen, guys, you're not alone. I am not alone. We are in this together. God is with us. Woo, listen to this. I forgot to tell y'all. I forgot to tell you this. This is the best line in the whole sermon. Listen, are you listening? Here it comes. Because he wins, we win.
Because he won, he did win, we win. Hallelujah, he reigns. What a Savior. Corey, lead us. We'll have our invitation.